It's extra drama for super thriller number two, On the Run. everybody it's your host marissa flaxbart and i'm here with nick riley and that felt kind of funny to say it's extra drama for a super thriller because i've never done extra drama for one of these uh big fat ones these super specials they're not called super specials that's what they're called in babysitter's club and i always want to say super special but you know the fat books the books that are outside of the normal thing so thanks for trying something new with me nick it's just because there's so much drama in this one there really is. I mean, their main episode was very long, and now we have even more to say. Um, <laughs> and I think some of it is going to be very silly, and some of it maybe will be more substantive. But you said that you had some some notes that you wanted to to discuss briefly. Well, this is more. This is probably the silly stuff to start with. But I feel like I would be it would not be my duty to be a guest on this podcast if I did not mention how strange the scene is earlier in the book where uh, Mr. Wakefield brought take-home Mexican food. Uh-huh. Do you remember the scene? Yeah. It struck me as very strange because all the Wakefields are there, including Stephen and Adam, who we discussed in the main episode as having a very eventful few weeks, months. Oh, yeah. Are you going to talk about Ye- Mrs. Wakefield? I am. All right. Do you want to tee that up? Yeah. I mean, should I just read it? Sure, go for it. All right, this is the beginning of chapter two also, so it really does kind of come out blazing. It was a mild summer evening, and everyone was enjoying eating outside. Mrs. Wakefield, who had changed out of her navy dress into a pair of comfortable pants... I didn't notice that before. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, good for you, Alice. She's got her comfy pants on. <laughs> Sorry, it's so funny to me. I don't know why. Thinking about how she, this book thought it was important to tell us that she was dressed nicer before, but now Every she's wearing comfy pants. Every detail about her is so okay. strange in this book. Okay, all right. We haven't even gotten there yet, gladiators. All right. Um, Mrs. Wakefield, who had changed out of her navy dress into a pair of comfortable pants, helped herself to a second taco. I really shouldn't, she chided herself, but this food is so good. Stephen laughed. Mom, you can't weigh an ounce more than the twins do. You could pass for a model. I agree with that, Adam seconded. Mrs. Wakefield blushed. It was true that she looked young, with her sleek blonde page boy and slender figure. In her profession as an interior designer, it helped to look well put together. And, I mean, then it goes into this... Darcy says that there's a fad diet that makes you lose 20 pounds in a month, and all you do is eat grapefruit and rice. And the conversation turns to Darcy from there, but... Yeah, so yeah, what part of that the, stood out to you, Nick? Any any particular part or parts? It was, I mean, all of it. But the <laughs> it was so, first off, so strange to me that Stephen is talking about his mother like that. Yeah. And Adam as well, like, he's almost hitting on her. But then I don't understand the one taco rule going on here. Well, one but taco then, is not a dinner, okay? I don't care how skinny right. you are. You eat two tacos at least. That's, that's. I mean, we, these are Californians we're talking about. Like, what? how big are these tacos? This is not a, a one taco is a child's dinner. Yeah, and then it was strange to me that you have this weird rumination of Mrs. Wakefield talking about how this is good for her industry. 
her career it has nothing say. to do with anything then, that happens in the book ever has again. nothing yeah. to do what's going on in the book and the only other time that we're going to really see her is when she's making a cake or no she's also making hamburgers in a third scene but she's making a cake and eating the batter and is too interested in that to be listening to jessica who's oh, concerned about, about her sister's well-being yeah but in the scene she then, when Elizabeth brings up how she doesn't like Darcy, she doesn't like her attitude and everything she's doing, Mrs. Wakefield kind of snaps at her and says it's not okay to judge someone's like intellect, but yet we just got through the whole thing where she seems to be okay with them judging her physical appearance, right. which well, seems like such a strange yeah. message to me. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Like, gladiators, I know we've been talking a lot about this haircut, but if you don't know what a page boy haircut looks like, please do Google it. Um, to, and then picture that every time we talk about Alice Wakefield, a blonde page boy. <laughs> Secondly, I'm not even sure if the book knows what it's doing with this taco thing. Because I read something like this and I it makes me frustrated. Like, eat a second taco. Like, don't... Like, I feel like I, I grew up with this. Like, you, you always... this Every single bite of food you eat has to have this emotional, like, value system attached to it. It's just... Yeah. Makes you, makes you crazy. I, so it, it was triggering for me, let's just say. But then, you know... It instantly laughs. It's the fact that she's doing it at all. You know, she's not saying, I want another taco, but I'm not going to have one because I shouldn't. She is taking a taco and saying, I'm going to do it even though I shouldn't. And she's, she's eating guilty. it. So it's like, but it's like, is she is she representing some kind of carefree attitude? Like we learned recently, or I don't think I even said this in the episode, you guys, but in a recent book, it described that Jessica and her friends went to the Dairy Burger almost every day after school. And and Amy like makes appointments to go for drinking milkshakes and stuff like the, these teenagers are all eating a lot of unhealthy food. So and not yeah, they go for much a quick milkshake it. in this one. Yeah. Oh, that's in this one. Okay. The quick milkshake that that was Amy's. I thought that was idea. such a strange phrase. <laughs> quick milkshake. Yeah. Well, you know what? We should go for a quick milkshake. Let me just fun. down this milkshake. I also was just thinking about the logistics of it, like the logistics of the tacos. Like when you order a pizza, you just think, how many pizzas do we need? And people will eat what they mm-hmm. want. But there's not really another kind of takeout that works that way. I mean, maybe a bucket of chicken, but it's like if I'm going to order food for a household of uh, what is it now? Like six people. I think I'm gonna take specific orders, unless it's like dining right. family style. So how many? Like, is right. she eating someone else's taco, or did they yeah. just get extra tacos? I mean, it's not like it's impossible for people to order food this way. It just thinking about it, I'm like, mm, that's not what would happen if I were ordering the food. The, the book also introduces it as that Mr. Wakefield brought home takeout Mexican food as if he would have brought home any other kind of Mexican food. It's a redundant, you're saying, because he could have right. just said he brought home Mexican food. Yeah, the, the whole thing. And then when Stephen is saying the thing about how she looks basically almost like her daughters. Well, what he says specifically is that she can't weigh an ounce more than her daughters. Yeah, sorry, even creepier even than I creepier, thought. Even creepier, yeah. I was just like, is he hitting on her too? (laughs) I know, that's classic Wakefield family behavior for the children and the parents and the children with each other to have just a strange way of of, uh, reflecting their uh, appreciation of each other's physique. This is almost the only interaction you get of them, the whole book. (laughs) Yeah. Like the whole family together. Adam Maitland, like, this is like his only line in the book. Is, uh, yeah, I agree with that. You do look like you don't weigh an ounce more than your twin daughters. 
uh, either and one it, of them individually, Mrs. Wakefield. I know I mentioned it before, but it just was so strange to me that basically the three times we see her, it's she's eating a taco, she's <laughs> making cake batter and eating it, and then she's making hamburger patties. At the barbecue, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know what? I love that Alice and the Wakefield family enjoy a good meal. I just wish that they would cut each other some slack about how much they weigh uh, from time to time. Um, the other piece that I wanted to bring up, and this is a real small, but did you notice that every time they're describing Eric's clothes, he's always has one faded piece of clothing, whether it be his shirt or his jeans? <laughs> I didn't really notice the description of Eric's clothes at all. Maybe I was just I think it the- only occurs twice, but each time he has a, something that's faded on him. Wow. It's either a faded cotton shirt or a faded jeans. So- what do you think that's about? Like, are they trying to... I don't know. ...make us think he is a murderer because his clothes aren't new? I was almost thinking, like, they were trying to show some sort of difference between him and the Californians that he's now living amongst. But everyone else is described <laughs> as wearing cotton shirts, so I, I, that, <laughs> that could be. That's just how they think of Ohioans. Uh, oh, it's all yeah, we're talking about Ohioans' wardrobes. There's a moment where uh, Darcy puts on... A green knit dress. Let's see, did I mark that? Yes. And she asks Jessica if she looks too voluptuous in it. Yeah. And Jessica. It was so strange because like, she's trying to impress the new intern. Well, oh, here it is. I did mark it. How do I look? Darcy asked anxiously, pivoting to show Jessica the green knit dress she had bought on the way home from work the night before. Jessica studied her critically. You look great. I like that dress a lot, she said. You're sure I don't look a little, you know voluptuous Darcy worried she did have a pretty curvy figure but Jessica honestly had to admit she thought the redhead looked sensational so I don't know what that's yeah, all it's, about <laughs> considering that they're all teenagers it feels like the book has weird language I don't know if this is just an 80s thing or whatever but even when the two twins are introduced on page two it mentions that they basically would be physically described as perfectly proportioned. Oh, yeah, right. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. It's definitely got a weird... I mean, the more you think about it, the more it starts to feel a little bit like uh, eugenicist style. Like eugen- yes. Eugenics-y, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, with all the blonde-haired uh, <laughs> yeah. people of, like, six this feet. This is the perfect human. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And that's why it was even creepy, like, when they're describing the men in the story. Like, everyone has, I feel like, curly hair in it. <laughs> and they all have <laughs> brown hair, which seems strange. But Well, it's important that Chris Wyeth has curly brown hair because a, a composite sketch of him has to look kind of roughly like <laughs> Eric Hankman. <laughs> yes, true. There was no other way to do that one. <laughs> That's, for, that's plenty to fill in extra drama. <laughs> Sorry, but I guess that I went on a rant there, no, but it just seems so I, I strange even, to me. When I saw that sentence, or that those paragraphs, I was like, oh, God. But it was so early in the book that I was like, I, Marissa, you can't mark everything. Because that's something that happens to me sometimes is that I realize <laughs> I have flagged like every other page in this book. And I have earmarked a lot of pages of this book. But it's like, you can't read the mm-hmm. whole thing, Marissa. You can't. So I didn't mark it. But I'm glad that you did and that we've gotten a chance to talk about it. Well, I was trying to think of it like if you were brand new to this and you were just reading this for the first time and had no recollection. Like, this is your introduction to them. Yeah. And I thought, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. What is it even trying to say? I think that what 
made this so strange to me is that the whole book, like the theme that we have talked about before, though, is about, like, are people good-natured as, like, a default, or are they all kind of, like, out for themselves? And, and the characters in this book are struggling about with that, and it's the crux of whether it's, like, the DeLuca case or um, how the Ryans feel towards, like, where they're going to live. And then you have this kind of like superficial thing at the beginning just about <laughs> how you evaluate people and i thought it was such a strange kind of uh dichotomy and how the book approaches yeah. this well you're right because what's happening is that as the book unfolds it goes from being i believe that there are good citizens in the world i believe that people are inherently good or or i don't to Sweet Valley is the representation of good human yes. beings. And this is this is the place where people are are good and care for their neighbors in a way that I don't know what it was like back in Ohio, right? Like Ohio, the Midwest, yeah. famous for having <laughs> bad neighbors. Like what? They're like LeBron left for a reason. <laughs> that was good. I mean not a current reference, but uh, but a really apt sports, sports one and it every once in a while I can bust one out. That's what it all boils down to being some kind of a statement about whether Sweet Valley is different from the rest of the world. And mm. that also doesn't quite jibe with their series as a whole. Like, do we think about Sweet Valley, California as a town where the people are like above average citizens? Like, certainly not the teenagers at the high school. Right. <laughs> I mean, they do like a lot of can drives and stuff. Like, they really care about their school, but they don't always behave with the best citizenship toward one another. Yeah, I would not picture this as the most progressive place in the United States. Right. <laughs> or and certainly not like the like model citizen camp. I don't right. know. Like just like look back at some of the like off the top of my head, like we've got kidnappings, we've got like okay, how about the time that Elizabeth Elizabeth did a good thing. She was volunteering as an orderly at the hospital. But then the orderly at the hospital did uh kidnap her. And then more recently, there was a uh, a teenager who was involved with some local gangsters in some underground betting on high school soccer games. So that that was all happening within Sweet Valley. There's the whole thing where, um, like, a young woman comes to town and accuses the English teacher of having made moves on her now of course she was a new yorker she wasn't from sweet valley but um these are just the things that come to mind you know well even in this book the guy in the gray suit i think is the one who says that <laughs> members of the criminal underworld live there so it's like wait a minute there's these people in your neighborhood you don't even know about them so that kind of undercuts your whole theory about the model citizen right well, sweet valley it's, theory it's different it's different arguments too because i mean i I look, I actually do really ascribe to the idea of, of a basic human decency. And I think that that's something that can be appealed to in pretty much everybody. I do kind of feel like, you know, people work together to try as much as possible to make good win out, even though there is evil in the world. You guys know I'm an Elizabeth. I agree with Elizabeth on this for the most part. But the argument that the Ryans are making at the end of the book isn't everybody is bad and don't trust anybody it is we can't trust everybody you know <laughs> even if there are good people in the world there are going to be there's going to be somebody that's going to that we can't trust and we don't know who that person mm -hmm. is 
Um, I mean, I don't know if you, if anybody's seen Raya the Last Dragon, like similar to, uh, vibes uh, message wise to this book, surprisingly enough, to that movie. Yeah, this, the book actually has kind of a strange sequence where after kind of the main conflict is resolved, the Dr. Ryan is thanking all the neighbors for intervening and saying like, you've taught me that like people can be good and like I should trust people. And then it immediately switches to, but we're still moving because we might not be able to trust like this specific group, but we believe generally that people will do the right thing. And, and we're still resigned to moving every six months. And I was like, Oh wow, here's some whiplash. (laughs) Yeah, well, I can read that because it is definitely a real memorable statement from Dr. Ryan on this. Remember that Dr. Ryan has already done this really good. He's proven himself to be a good citizen because he's the one who came forward. But, you know, it's been really hard on him to see what the aftermath of coming forward against Frank DeLuca has been. So... He says, one of the hardest things about the life we're forced to lead now is that we can't really belong to any community for long. We're going to have to keep moving, keep changing our appearance and our names. But you've reminded me tonight that we're all members of one big community, whatever we look like and whatever we call ourselves. We're all human beings. And as long as we believe in right and wrong, we're all fighting the same fight. It was a stirring, a stirring sentiment, a stirring speech from Dr. Ryan. Although it did start with, we're never going to stop running. <laughs> yeah, right. That's where I was like, oh, wait, I think we missed the message here. <laughs> as long as you belong to a community of unusually handsome people, you'll be okay. That's the true message of Sweet Valley High. <laughs> they you, take care of their own. You got it in one. <laughs> it only took one book to catch on. <laughs> Well, Nick, thank you so much again for doing this with me. And Gladiators, thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll tell a friend about Sweet Valley Diaries. And I hope you will follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries or on Twitter at Sweet Valley. And uh, you can send me an email to sweetvalleydiaries at me.com if you have something that you would like to say uh, in email format. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye. Did you have any parting words that I'm depriving you of? Oh, no. I don't know if I do. Did we talk about glowering already? (laughs) Only in the intro. Hmm. Will it make... Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a mystery that people have to puzzle out. (laughs) What what, what all this talk about glowering? I think they'll be able to figure it out. And that's a great question. I have that same question. (laughs) 